Hi, this is Mayur Bharat, Vice President for Global Partner Ecosystems at Aruba. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannatsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, and then they can inspire real change. It is now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Today, listeners, I have a guest and uh, a great guy to join us. Uh, His name is Mayur Barath. Uh, He is the Vice President of Ecosystem Sales for Aruba at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And he's been in the organization since 1996. But during his 24 years at HP, he's played a variety of leadership roles in the business process outsourcing, engineering, global sales, HR strategy and planning. So as you know, he's got, he's, he's got a great balance of different areas within an organization. He's also led large complex transformational programs and he's managed global delivery teams across all three regions. And he's instrumental in starting and running services uh, service delivery centers for HP in India, Mexico, Poland, Romania, and China. So he's, because he's done that, he's lived in five countries across uh, three regions and uh, he's just led a lot of teams around across that all those three regions, which has been great. He has a healthy understanding of varied uh, cultures and a true global leader. So he's currently based in Bangalore in India, and uh, I've seen him as I've travelled around the world. I've seen him in different countries as well, and uh, he lives there with his wife and son. And uh, he's the advisory he's an advisory member of the board for a non-profit organisation in bringing affordable healthcare into India's rural segment. He's done an executive management program at, from Stanford University and also a bachelor's degree in engineering. Mayor, hey, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Dennis. I appreciate you having me on the show and I'm truly excited to discuss leadership and uh, helping all of your many members around the world who listen to your podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to making a difference in their thinking around leadership and what's next in today's situation. Yeah, excellent. So I've given quite a bit of an introduction on you. Is there anything else in your background you might like to share? Nothing specific, Dennis. Thank you for that introduction again. Um, The only thing I would add is that uh, I really do consider myself a true global citizen of the world. Uh, Mm. I've obviously been born and brought up in India, uh, but I've had the opportunity to live in the United States in the Bay Area where we are headquartered as a company in Palo Alto for a couple of years. Um, I've experienced the um, Catalan lifestyle in Barcelona for a few years. I was based in Spain, uh, experience which I absolutely loved. 
and uh, i've also moved uh, around asia so i spent a couple of years in singapore and probably the stint i would say that you know taught me the most from a learning perspective uh, was in china i had the opportunity to um, lead manage three uh, global delivery centers in china and probably i would say out of my 24 years if i was to pick out one experience that truly made a difference to me uh, was really working with uh, our china team and uh, i think china gave me a, a, a very different learning experience uh, compared to the western countries yeah, it's great to be able to have these different experiences and different cultures as you travel the world and and leading different teams. And I remember seeing you either at the gym at the hotel that we may have been staying in Palo Alto, or I was at the gym and just coming out, and you were going to the office, and so we sort of edge each other on to go to the gym, which was really good. Yeah, Maya, the question here for you is: uh, How did you get into leadership? I think that's a very interesting uh, question, uh, Dennis, because um, I truly believe that my journey into leadership. Uh, was all because I had a manager supervisor in Hewlett Packard who saw it worthwhile to take a risk with me uh, when I was extremely young in the company. Actually, I was just finished three years in the company. It was not very often that somebody with three years of experience was given a people management responsibility. Which, in many ways, I think the transition from being an individual contributor to a people manager, however small that is, I think it's one of the most significant transitions that you can make. and i was fortunate that i had a manager who despite what i believe now on hindsight was maybe not sufficient experience on my side at that point of time she still took the risk and uh, made me a people manager of a very small team and that was basically my first foray into leadership because all of my team members were a lot more experienced than me and india culturally you know there is a lot of importance given to how many years of experience uh, a candidate comes with so i was one of the most junior members of the team but still uh, the manager again i reiterate took the risk to make me a people manager and that first role actually taught me a lot about leadership and what it means to manage people obviously mm-hmm. even in, in my first role itself i did encounter some resistance because uh, you know not everyone immediately bought into the thought of me being a people manager uh, but that taught me a lot and that was my first foray into leadership dense That's interesting how you talk about there was a little bit of resistance, especially probably because you were young, only three years into the role, and then all of a sudden, next minute, da da, you're a leader, yeah. and I'd be going like, what? So how did you handle that resistance? What did you do to get around it? Yeah, I think you know when you go through any change, uh, whether it's for yourself or in a team, I think the first aspect of managing any change is to come to acceptance that the change is happening. so one mm. of the things i did was i really put myself in the shoes of my team members and i said that if this was happened to me probably i would react in the same manner and then my whole thought process from there on was how do i build that trust and credibility with my team members for them to feel that i am a worthy choice as a leader and i believe it was around 6 months down the line in that particular role when one of the team members actually the team member that who was most resistive to be being a manager uh she actually made a pretty big blunder with a project that we were working on which got escalated uh, to the uh, director of our division and uh, i clearly remember that you know this this blunder came out by surprise on a call and um, the person asked on the call that you know who has done this work how could we have made such a big mistake it was basically a excel sheet error that had happened on a fairly large financial calculation and i don't know what prompted me to do this again on hindsight but instead of pointing to one of the team members 
I said that it doesn't matter who did it. I am the manager of this team, and I take accountability for the mistake. And even when I was pressed to a certain extent to tell who did it, I did not give up the name of the person. I just kept telling the director, saying, "Let's not get into that. You have given me the charter to manage this team, and I take full accountability. I should have reviewed it before this reached you." And this lady, actually, after the call, she almost was on tears. Uh, she came and told me that I'm sorry I made this mistake, but I'm really full of admiration the way you stood up to me, and the fact that you took the bullet on my behalf shows me why you have got this role and position. So I think you know that word kind of then spread around that there's a guy who can rely on. He's not going to let his team down, and that was how I went about building trust and respect with the team. Fantastic. So knowing that a leader has your back and just the beautiful story that you shared there you know, in relation to some resistance, and that was probably one of the ladies, there were the people in the team that were probably more resistant than others. And when it came to time, because the finger was about to be pointed, you chose not to do that, but also stood up as a leader and said, I take accountability because I'm the leader and uh, let's not get stuck in the weeds, let's move forward. And I think, Maya, that's that's a true sort of indication of the leader that you are and uh, and well done in doing that. So that's fantastic. So good to see. Thanks, sir. Yeah, cool. Here's a question for you, and that is, who's your favourite leader? Now, this person can be alive or can be from history. So who's your favourite leader and why? So given the country I come from, uh, uh, Dennis, uh, for a very long time, and you know I've read up a lot on this person, Gandhi has been a favorite uh, leader of mine for the longest time. Obviously, growing up in India, we are all taught to respect and we learn a lot about Mahatma Gandhi. But it's only when you grow up and then you encounter situations of resistance, you encounter situations of anger, bitterness, uh, you realize what a profound man he was to lead a country as diverse as India, which speaks around 80 different languages. People with various cultural backgrounds uh, are there in India. To unite a country as diverse as India into a common vision goal, and you do that on top of this whole concept of nonviolence that he had to get freedom from the British. Gandhi has been a long-standing leader. And, um, you know, I recently, and I really want to share this with all the uh, viewers, Dennis, because I would say over the last two years, it's kind of had a profound uh, impact on me as well. Through Hewlett Packard Enterprise, uh, I was given an executive level coach around two years back who coached me for around six months since I was getting ready for a larger global role in the organization. And uh, he asked me the same question and he said that going forward, what I want you to do, because I was giving him one or two examples of, you know, challenges I was encountering at work and uh, how do I overcome it? And he told me that every time you have a particular challenge, he asked me the same question, who is your role model? And I said, my role model is Gandhi. And he said that every time you have a challenge at work, I want you to think about what Gandhi would have done in this kind of situation. And initially, when the coach told me this, I laughed him off like, you know, you know, how can you even expect me to rise to a level of mental thinking, foresight to a man like that in terms of what he would have done? I said, you know, all I'm doing is I'm a corporate. <laughs> I have sales targets. I run after it every quarter. I said, you can't expect me to rise to the level of what would Gandhi have done in that kind of situation. 
but he kept pressurizing me so every time i would go to him with a challenge he said okay you know tell me if gandhi was faced with this problem what would he do and he took me through this wonderful process of putting myself in the shoes of a visionary leader and forcing myself to think like him and that's also i would say made a big difference to me over the last couple of years yeah what a beautiful question so what would your role model do in the situation and then allowing you to step back and think about it um, yes. putting your feet into their shoes Excellent. Great way to, to think about it. And Gandhi, uh, yes, great leader. And uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Maya, this show is called Leadership is Changing, and that's a term that I'm using quite a bit. And so when I say leadership is changing, well, what does that mean for you? Yeah. So we live in a very uh, dynamic environment today, Dennis. You know, you take into account what has happened over the last uh, six months with the COVID-19 situation, which at least i think in my lifetime has been uh, unprecedented uh, i'm sure that's the case for most uh, people have not seen anything like this i think as you're growing up you know you have been a learning and development coach par excellence for all of us at ulit packard enterprise we have discussed a lot about leadership styles you know we have discussed about again leaders in the corporate world bill gates steve jobs there are a lot of articles written about all these people and how they have rose to uh, corporate excellence and prominence in the work that they have done but when you think of leadership today i feel that leadership has evolved to such an extent where you cannot say that this is my leadership style because we live in today in a vuca environment uh, i think vuca as a concept is known to many people but for those of them who are hearing this term called vuca for the first time it stands for uh, volatility uncertainty complexity and ambiguity vuca so i think if you look at what's happened over the last 6 months we are in a ideal vuca environment i don't think you me or anybody else can predict what's going to happen tomorrow so it's an extreme vuca environment and i think when you are in a vuca environment your leadership style has to be one of extreme adaptability you have to change as a leader on a daily basis on an hourly basis depending on the situation that surrounds you so i myself have moved away from this ethos of you know many a times in an interview sometimes people will ask you what is your leadership style then you will say i, I believe in leading by example you could give several leadership traits uh, traits sorry but i think the biggest thing today when i think about disruption in leadership it's that you just cannot say that this is my leadership style you have to adopt to this voca environment and your leadership style has to be very flexible and dynamic to maintain the pace of change that's happening in the industry and the macroeconomic situation that the world is faced with yeah great so team listeners i'm here with maya and where we're talking about uh, leadership is changing of course and he's just talking about that today's leader leadership is changing and answering that question that you need to adapt to the vuca environment whereby you've got volatility uncertainty complexity and ambiguity and that we can't just say that we've got one certain leadership style anymore that we are changing so much and so often and so quickly and probably so frequently that we have to stay flexible and be able to move an environment to maintain maintain change but also lead organizations going forward and maya that's really interesting how you shared it that way because we know that one thing is constant and that's change and it's it's, yeah. it's happening a lot yeah and so how has your business or industry changed and what demand has that put on you or your team 
Yeah, great question again, uh, Dennis. So, you know, I have been in the IT sector for 24 years and uh, I cannot think of another instance over the last 24 years where the pace of change on any business has been has as high as what it is today. You think about any segment today, be it uh, retail, uh, manufacturing, banking and financial services, what digital transformation is doing to all these industries are two things. Basically, putting a lot of focus and pressure on the whole customer experience uh, because you now have companies like Google and uh, Apple who have just taken the whole concept of user and customer experience to a different level. So every business is under pressure to transform themselves from a digital perspective and give that superior customer experience. The second thing that's happening with the industry is that there is newer commercial models that are evolving, which have never been looked at before, that is forcing companies across the world to relook at their IT, to relook at their tools, to relook at their internal processes. So digital transformation in the industry is just taking the disruption to a next level. And as I said, there are two things that are happening. One is an extreme focus on redesigning process tools and systems to ensure a superior customer experience. And then the second one is just breakthrough new commercial and financial models coming through. Yeah, yeah. And what happens to organizations that don't adapt to doing what you're just saying, right? So you're saying that there's so much change, commercial and business models are all changing. We have to work differently, digital transformation happening, businesses need to change their IT, their tools and so forth. If they don't do that, Maya, what, what happens? I think to um, use a old saying, uh, and this may sound, uh, you know, a little bit uh, too extreme, uh, but I still believe to... Quote Charles Darwin, and I think he said this maybe sometime in 1963, it's adapt or die. And, you know, I don't want to use the word die, but to just put it out there, if a company does not adapt to this new age digital transformation and um, the overall superior customer experience that people are looking for, it's only a matter of time before they perish. So just in three words, I will say it's about adapt or die. Yeah, and we've you and I have seen that in a lot of other organisations yeah. <laughs> across the globe that haven't adapted and they have perished, as you said. They've died, they've gone, and they're no longer. In fact, we don't even remember some of those brands. We don't even remember some of those brands, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I've seen this very uh, interesting um, picture of the top 20 fortune companies. They have mapped it over every decade over the last 100 years. And um, none of the companies, I think, maybe save two that existed 50 years back today are in the top <laughs> uh, fortune companies. So it's, it's just uh, amazing the pace at which changes happen in the industry. That's amazing. So only two remain of, uh, of some of those fortune companies over the last, that started 50 years ago or were around 50 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Hey, if there was one thing you could change in business as a leader today, what, what would that one thing be? There is such a big dearth today, Dennis, and I, I think the dearth has always been there, but today more so with the onset of some of the new age technologies. And I'll just mention a few. 
with robotics coming in with artificial intelligence coming in a big way into most industries i believe that the dearth for talent has become so high if there's one thing i would like to change the way business leaders think i believe that in the future a lot of importance uh, and i know there are people there who might disagree with me but i'm going to go out there and say it i think in the future i really hope business leaders give a lot more importance to skills and reskilling rather than the current focus that exists i would say worldwide around education degrees and the more traditional mindset with which we have all grown up which is you finish high school you get an engineering degree then you do a masters in business and administration and then you get into a you know tier 1 fortune 10 fortune 20 company in any industry vertical i truly believe that there is a dearth of skills in the industry today for some of these new age technologies and i do hope business leaders going forward give a lot more important to skills than degrees from ivy league colleges and universities yeah yeah so it doesn't matter how many letters you have behind your name or how many pieces of paper you have with the degree i think what you're saying mayo is the person's ability along with their talent the skills and being able to do certain roles bring that talent and that skill set to an organization and business has going to really help organizations move forward is that, is that, am i right in what you're saying yeah you're right so i'll just add on to that dennis I, i think it's not only about having skills it's about having the relevant skills to today's market of what's happening on digital transformation right yeah and uh, so, you know maybe the western universities have adapted but i'll give a very simple example you know in the current covid times you know i think the batch of 2020 is challenged right i mean they're all passing out many of them with full fledged uh, degrees beat in you know some stem course which is more relevant for it organizations but there aren't enough job offers out there in the market so i decided to do some pro bono work in terms of just counseling the batch of 2020 and i've been doing this for the last 4 months ever since this covid started uh, helping you know these youngsters adapt and you know basically build some resilience in them what i've noticed is even if i just take very simple programming right today if you look at what's happening with analytics if you look at what's uh, happening with uh, artificial intelligence and robotics one of the premier language skills that you need to learn is python but python as a course is today not fully taught in most universities because it's new age maybe even the lecturers are not there to such an extent to teach the course but that's what the industry or the organization wants right so my whole point is what's the point of you having a degree of some form if you don't know the current programming language aren't yeah. you just better off just learning this three or four languages that are very relevant and i feel sad for some of these kids because they've spent a whole bunch of money on some institution and i'm saying there's nothing wrong with that a degree is a degree it's of immense value but if it's not relevant to current times then you have to think about what skill sets you bring to the table as i mentioned yeah amazing so that'd be great to see to to work with people around that and and bring the right skill set as you're saying the relevant skill set to the table and i think with the python uh actual software or opera, you know the the programming language as you say bringing that in and it's not being taught yet properly by all organizations or institutions so it's a shame i remember i learned and you, you i don't even think you know this but i i learned to do computer programming and that's how i started my career okay and co- and and cobol <laughs> and i did that 
And I worked for the bank uh, for an organisation servicing the banks that was bought out by EDS and fully, fully you know, bought out by Hewlett Packard after that. And so when I did that, that's amazing. But do you know today, thirty years later, that uh, those applications are still working, and for some of those systems, yeah, I know. But then we've got all this IP sitting there uh, of. See, systems still need to be supported, but there's nobody there anymore, and it's hard. It's walked out the door. Yeah. So there's that side of the of the equation too, whereby you know, you've got people who are not being taught the latest and greatest, and then you've got people who haven't learnt the old stuff but still stuck there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, um, so you you sounds like you're doing some pro bono work with some some graduates and people um uh, people who are out there work um their careers early in the careers or studying and so forth. How has employees' expectations of leaders changed? How's their expectations of leaders changed? Yeah. So, I mean, from when, um, you know, as, as you know, Dennis, I started off as a um, fresh hire uh, straight out of university in Hewlett Packard uh, uh, company. If I look at the millennials coming out today, and, uh, you know, I just have to give all of the millennials and, you know, I've had... Um, uh, as I said, the pleasure of uh, doing some pro bono work with them. First of all, I think all of the millennials are much more smarter than at least what I was at the age of 21, 22, at the time of passing out of uh, university. Much more, I would say, socially conscious of what they want to do, which was very different when I was passing out. You just want to get into a good company. I'll be the first to admit that even I was stuck in the same rat race that many people were, which is go to a good educational institution, get a good degree, go and work for a good company. And then if opportunity presents itself, especially for people in India, move to the United States. But right. today when I speak to these millennials, I'm just surprised at the social consciousness that they want. So I'll give you an example. When I was uh, talking to the first batch of millennials, and then the way I do it is I have a group session and then I do one-on-ones with them. One of the uh, people I was talking to, he told me that, you know, I was asking him what kind of institutions or, uh, or companies are you looking at applying? And in his top three list of the kind of organization that he wanted to join, he had corporate social responsibility in there. So wow. I was just like absolutely surprised about it because this was not even there in my list to be honest at the time of you know choosing a company that i went to but he was very clear that he wants to join an organization that is seen as giving back to the community that they are a part of whether it's a global company or a more you know local in country company he was very clear that he wants to join an organization that's big on csr so that is the kind of expectation that these Millennials place not only on organizations and then coming down to leaders, they are starting to challenge us in terms of thinking about our own processes because millennials nowadays are just used to getting everything on an app. You just, you know, put yourself in the shoes of a millennial with a mobile. If they want their music, it's there on the app. If they want information, it's there on the app. If they want food, it's there on the app. If they want entertainment, it's there on the app. And whatever they want, they get it in the time frame of at best three to five clicks. You then put them into a corporate environment. And if they come and tell me how to procure something, 
and i tell them that you have to go into this erp login do this there isn't an app it maybe goes through three or four levels of approval that complexity that exists within large organizations today they are not able to take it and they are challenging leaders like me saying that why are some of the processes that exist so archaic yep and and they're right i mean they they are they're right in saying that it is archaic and uh some some leaders don't want to know um and for large corporates there's um a lot of procurement that you've got to go through supply chain and so forth and different ways of doing it but you're right they they can get access to a lot of things today and they're asking questions which are really good questions indeed yeah. maya um what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced ever-changing world yeah i think this goes back to you know the question we spoke about uh, you know what makes a good leader i think it's just basically if i have to sum it up in one word it's uh, adaptability i think you know your ability to adapt to various situations and have that resilience in you that you can pass on to your team i think is just super critical these days and while i've spoken about wuka and the fact that there isn't one particular leadership style but if i go back in you know corporate history and pick out one leader who i think whose advice still holds good very firmly today is you know i would just you know quote jack welch at this point of time i've read almost all his books and uh, i think you know he had this concept of three e's and i'll mention two of them which i think are very important in today's situation for leaders one is just you coming in on a day to day basis with energy because if you don't have the energy and you're sounding down you're feeling down in today's situation obviously business is not happening at the pace at which it should be the team picks this up picks picks this up immediately so not only do you have to come in with a lot of energy the other thing well spoke about was your ability to energize your team and people around you and yeah. i think it's even more critical because people don't get to see you face to face at least i haven't been into the office and i haven't met my team face to face in the last 6 months though they're spread out all over the world but if you cannot have that conviction even when you're having a conference call to sound confident to be positive and to take your team forward you're just going to set yourself up for failure yep yeah amazing and so as you say they they can actually read through it they actually can see it and actually pick up even from your tone of voice Absolutely. and so forth and Absolutely. yeah i totally agree when you talked before about uh, being adaptable as a leader um and then you need to have resilience and you need to pass it on to your team what do you mean by passing on resilience to your team can you give us an example of what you mean by that yeah i think it's you know accepting the fact that a you're in a very challenging environment today because you know i'll just take a sales situation also first of all the spend is not happening as per plan in in many verticals i mean you think of what's happened in the retail industry over the last 6 months right all mm. these leading retailers with uh, large square feet of space where people just haven't walked into a mall or a shopping center in the last 6 months many of them are closing shop you know they are embracing now online purchasing by a big way some of them were ready some of them were not ready but when an industry like retail is not spending to the extent it is it's an important vertical for most leading it companies how do you then go and have that conversation with that customer to say that hey in this current environment i can still help you grow your business i can help you take out cost and still make you successful 
So having that, you know, just conviction and resilience to go and have that conversation with the customer, think out of the box and propose a solution in current times, I think is extremely critical for today's business leaders. Yeah. I might even add the word to that as well, Maya, of having the courage to go and do that too. Courage right? is an excellent word. Courage is a really good word, Dennis. Yeah. It yeah, requires yeah, a lot yeah. of resilience and courage to go and have that conversation with the customer because he's yeah. basically thinking of what do I do in this kind of situation? My sales have fallen by 40%. Where do I go next? And yeah. I think it's the absolute right word to go, to have the courage to go and have that out-of-box conversation uh, requires a lot of conviction. Yeah, no, good, good points. Very good points. Hey, Mayo, just uh, the final question here would be, if I was to get you to get your crystal ball out and start thinking about the future, where, where do you see leadership being in five years? So I honestly believe that leadership profile is going to get a lot more younger, Dennis. As I said, I'm very impressed with the thinking that the millennials bring to the table I think you're going to see a whole new generation of leaders that come through over the next five years that are going to challenge everything that existed in any company over the last 25, 30 years. In fact, many companies like Hewlett Packard have started what they're calling now as reverse mentoring programs. And, you know, I've had a reverse mentor myself. And the whole concept is that, you know, you and I have done mentoring to a lot of people over the last 20, 25 years of being in corporate lives. But I actually had a reverse mentor for three years, which was a millennial who had just joined us, who kind of gave his perspective of what they look for when they join a company. So I think you're going to see this whole disruption coming in of this new generation of leaders who are going to come and tell us how things are to be run in an organization. And at that point of time, we are going to be the ones who have to adapt or die with this new generation of leaders coming through. Yeah, I agree. And I think you, you can see that even now in some uh, countries and their actual political side. Your, your country is also a great example, actually. <laughs> yeah, many countries, right? I mean, they've got young young leaders coming through in the political scene. And so that's one thing. But also we're seeing it in corporates and, and even think about entrepreneurs and startups and things like yeah. that. It's the young generation, you know, younger leaders and that younger profile coming through for sure. And I think the reverse mentoring is a great example of what you just shared, right? So for our listeners, what what Mayo has just shared there is that, you know, he is a a senior leader, an executive in the organization, a vice president, then is actually going to mentor one of the graduates coming through as as an example. But then that graduate will also reverse mentor him based on different things, as he said. One was around, you know, what is what is a young person or a, a person coming in as a graduate looking for in an organization to join? What are they looking for in a leader to have be led by that leader? And then also they have a lot more exposure and understanding to what Mayo was saying before, which is probably around they've got an app for this and an app for that, and they can do all sorts of things. It's that kind of thinking to help some of the leaders come into, you know, be brought up to speed on what's actually available out there so then we can have uh, more of a wider vision, understanding, and ability to help others as well. Maya, hey, thanks for joining us on the show today. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Yeah, I think the easiest place, Dennis, for them to go would be to contact me on LinkedIn. But at the same time, you know, I'm a big believer of helping people to the extent I can share my experience I truly believe that if uh, certain people had not taken risk uh, with me in my career, I wouldn't have been where I am today. 
so contact me on linkedin or if you want to uh, email me my email is there on linkedin you can just reach out to me directly saying uh, you know heard you on dennis's show would like to have a quick chat with you and uh, i promise you will get a response within 24 hours awesome maya hey great thank you for having uh, being on the show it's been a pleasure having you here today thanks yes uh, yeah pleasure pleasure thank you hey listeners what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant change is incredibly scary especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory it is time to adapt in our fast moving world when leadership is changing look out for the episodes as they're being downloaded and um, or being released and download them listen to them put a review and also a rating feel free to share them with your network the other thing is if you have any feedback for me on the show or you have a question for me to ask my guests or if you have a question for me to ask in the free style session which i have once a week called ask dennis feel free to send me an email at dennis at leadingchangepartners.com hey listeners thanks for joining us today on the leadership is changing show it's great to have you here we'll be talking to you again soon bye for now thank you for listening to this episode of leadership is changing with your host dennis giannoutsas Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.